Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Mike Lynch. What's going on? This is Rashad. This is the Sports Sunday Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. It is now brought to you on the fan by your local Les Schwab Tire Centers. Doing the right thing since 1952. Weekends were made for sports. Now do the robot voice. I want to hear it again. Meet more sir. robot. That's a terrible robot voice. A look at the weekend in sports with the inside story on the Blazers, the Ducks, and the Beavers. Everyone, meet freelance alien bounty hunter, Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp? The football guy? Yeah, I hunt aliens now. Used to catch TDs, now I catch ETs. You ever caught an alien, Shannon? Not yet, Mr. Question, but I'll let you know when I do. This is Sports Sunday with Mike Lynch. Where are the turtles? Where are the turtles? Come on, guys, get out of here. Where are the turtles? And Rashad Taylor. Nobody calls me Lebowski. You got the wrong guy. I'm the dude, man. On 1080 The Fan. Hour 2 of 2 here on Sports Sunday. Mike and Jesse with you. Rashad's in Vegas this week. He'll be back next week. Coming up in this hour, we've got Hater Love It at 10.30. Might talk a little MLB trade deadline. Since Rashad is out, I could actually talk a little baseball. <laughs> might talk CJ McCollum's extension. We'll see where we go. But I want to start here. This might actually just last two segments, too. So this is why I'm saying we might get to these things. I want to start with the Pac-12's idea that Larry Scott broached for having 9 a.m. kicks in the Pacific time zone for football games in the Pac-12. And the reason I specify in the Pacific time zone, there have been 9 a.m. Pac-12 games before, or at least games with Pac-12 teams, when they go to, say, play Ohio State, and they are in Columbus, Ohio. That game starts at noon or 12.30, but it's a 9 a.m., 9.30 kick for us here locally. They're saying they want Pac-12 games, conference games, to have 9 a.m. kicks. This is the worst idea I think the Pac-12 has come up with in a long time, and they are full of terrible ideas. But there are so many flaws of this idea, I feel like they're just throwing it out there to try to do anything different to get more eyeballs on the sport, or on the conference, I should say. The reason I think this is really stupid is is like threefold. One, a lot of these teams in the Pac-12 are not in major cities where people live. Some of them are, of course, right? You got the LA teams, you got University of Washington and Seattle. But I mean, think about for us specifically in Oregon, Oregon and Oregon State, there are a ton of people who drive to those games from one to two to three hours away. And it's a whole event to get there. So you're telling me you're a Portland, Oregon Duck fan. You have to, if you want to do any sort of pregame, anything at all, leave your house at what, 5 a.m.? 6 a.m. at the latest? 
Oh, no, they won't get any pregame in if you leave at 6 because, you know, traffic will suck. So 4 a.m. if you want to get any pregame in? Yeah, or just go down there and stay in Eugene overnight or Corvallis. Okay, but you so you do that, right? Yep. And you got to pay for a hotel room yep. or camping ground or wherever you want to stay. Sure, they're liking that down in Eugene, though. Probably. You have to leave really, really early, and then you're just there at 9 a.m., groggy, sleepy. Really, really, really subdued crowd, I imagine, for a 9 a.m. kickoff game. Uh, and then if you're a student there and you're going to those games, you're going to be super hungover from the night before, Friday night partying. You're just going to be like, hey, go Oregon. They're not even going to show up. <laughs> they'll just have, or they'll still be drunk from the night before, yeah. which maybe that'll be crazy. I don't know. So that's that's a problem number one. Problem two for me is the players. The players have to play a game at 9 a.m. Herm Edwards at Pac-12 Media Day said he didn't love the idea, but that they tend to practice his team practices at 9.30 a.m. anyway, so it wouldn't be that big of a deal. There's a difference between getting up for practice and getting up for a game, right? And if practice is at 9.30, I'm, I'm imagining you're showing up to the, to the practice field at what? Maybe 8.30, getting in your pads and going out there. For a game, you got to show up a couple hours early. You got tape to review. You got... Uh, medical attention to receive, massages, and all those, warm up. all those things. So you're getting to the stadium as a player at, what, 7 in the morning? At probably the, at probably the, the latest. latest. Yeah. For a 9 a.m. game. And then three, I'm not sure this even fixes the problem of more eyeballs on your games. Na nationally, right? And that's because 9 a.m. is already kind of owned by the Big Ten and the ACC. Not great games, usually. The noon, the noon Eastern games, if I, if I want to be a little bit more clear of what games I'm talking about, the 9 a.m. games for us are owned by those games. So if you want a bigger national audience, do you really think that a, an East Coast college football fan at noon is going to watch Arizona State Cal at 9 a.m.? when they are an East Coast or a Midwest fan that likes the Big Ten or the ACC and there's a Big Ten or ACC game on? No, they're not. So to me, there are no positives to this. This idea is, I understand the reasoning behind it, but I think that there's, there was no thought after that initial reasoning. It was like, hey, we want more eyeballs, so let's put a game at a time that there's never a Pac-12 game on. Nobody's going to watch that anyway. Well, and unless it's a premier game, even and if, then you're ruining the premier game by putting it so early. That's right, because because the premier game typically, if it's if it's that good, they find a way to get it in a you know five o'clock premier time slot somewhere where it's you know the uh, it, it's the game day you know game or or you know Fox sticks it in as their prime time game, but like that doesn't help you playing that game at nine in the morning, and then. Does it really help you having more eyes on I don't know Oregon State UCLA? That just makes your use your your conference look worse. You can see you're featuring those two games and more eyeballs are all of a sudden on the Pac-12. They're like, man, they play some crap football over there, you know, in the Pac-12 watching this uh, UCLA and Oregon State. You know, it that's not going to help your your um, your fight to be a relevant Big Five conference as well. So. You just got that going against you because your best games are already in spots where they're going to have eyeballs on them. 
Let's take a quick break. Coming up next, I do have an idea that's in the similar realm as this, but is way smarter, in my opinion, and in a way to try to improve perception of the Pac-12 nationally. And I want to bring up something that Isaac brought up on the show a couple of weeks ago that I agree with but want to expand on as well. Uh, that is about the Pac-12's perception. That is next here on Sports Sunday on The Fan. Weekend sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. So the idea behind 9 a.m. kicks is not the worst idea in the world. But doing it in the Pacific time zone is the worst idea in the world. To me, there is one simple way if you if you want to use the 9 a.m. kick to your advantage to make it good for both for everybody you want to grow the the conference you want more people nationally to respect the conference and you want to be able to be on at all different spots of the day so that the pac-12 is an option for people at all different times of the day it's something that's already happened it's something that's already been done and that is very simply play a game on the road against the team in the midwest or the east coast require if you want all of your teams to schedule home and homes with power five teams that are in different time zones because then you'll get a you'll get that team to come to your stadium which is always big right you like big big school home and homes it brings people to your town you know it might if it's a big school get you more national attention as well but then when you play that road game you're on earlier in the morning and you're playing a team that they're more the Eastern time zone and the Midwest people are more willing to watch. That to me is the way to fix it. It doesn't even have to be the best matchup, right? I'll use, I mean, Oregon state played Ohio state on the road last year, and that was an earlier kick and right. That, that, that did not exactly go the way that we all hoped, but Oregon state actually played well early in that game made it seem somewhat interesting. I'll just use Oregon state, Oregon state as an example. Because I think if you're a Beaver fan, you don't want them playing the Ohio State of the world because at this point, you're going to get slaughtered. Let's say Ohio State, let's say Oregon State plays Maryland, right? A home and home against Maryland. In that game, when you're going to Maryland to play that game, it's almost guaranteed going to be a noon kick game, 9 a.m. Pacific time. But any ACC or big, well, I guess former ACC, current Big Ten fan that wants to watch football at that point has some options. Maryland will be one of them. And then guess what? They're watching a Pac-12 team play. That is the best way to get Pac-12 football on in homes of people outside of the mountain and Pacific time zones is to have them play teams that they care about. And that to me is the easiest way to fix this. And it would help college football as a sport, especially if other conferences do this, and we've heard some rumblings that conferences might require this, is to stop scheduling FCS games in the non-conference, although they can be easier wins, and require them to play power five teams at least once or twice in the non-conference. It'll make for better non-conference games. It'll make for better viewing audiences from the public. And it'll help spread the the conferences across the country, all the conferences even, 
I mean, think about if you live here, you're not watching the ACC like you watch the Pac-12. But maybe you get to get maybe you get a chance to watch Virginia Tech play against Stanford. And you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. I never get to see Virginia Tech. I've heard they're a good team. And then all of a sudden you get a better game. You get more eyeballs on that. It helps the ACC because Virginia Tech gets more eyeballs out here and vice versa. There you go. If you want to take advantage of the 9 a.m. time slot, that's the way I I think that you can take advantage of it to grow your conference. I don't think scheduling Pac-12 conference games at that time makes any sense. That, to me, is the idea that I would bring forth and say, this is what I want, require these matchups. They'll likely be put earlier because of just the the situation of the games. And there you go. Win-win. Honestly, the Pac-12 and the ACC, that's that's kind of almost a marriage made in heaven for this situation with, I mean – Outside of Clemson, you're you're kind of going well. I, I guess they got Syracuse in the top twenty-five. Okay, go Orange, hey. um, twenty-second ranked team. Let's go, baby. But uh, the ACC considered kind of a, a down conference, um, you know, it, it, amongst the Big Five, Pac-12. What you're considered a down conference among amongst the Big Five. The only thing we don't have right now is we don't currently have a Clemson. We have like three or four teams we think could be good, right? right. And the then, closest uh, thing to Clemson is Washington, but Washington is not Clemson. No. Or Bama. Right. And, I mean, in the closest, Oklahoma. And probably the closest thing that you can have to actually have the noise of, of what Clemson is making that isn't USC, because we all know if USC is big, then all of a sudden the Pac-12 is infinitely more relevant, which honestly is the dumbest thing in the world. But um, – just kind of goes to show the ignorance of football fans, but, um, but Oregon, honestly, it, 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 Oregon still has that cachet as a recognized name nationally. It's been down a couple of years, but if you can start catching lightning in a bottle again, all of a sudden, you know, you're, they're going to be like, well, I guess you don't need USC for the PAC 12 to be relevant because you know what? I mean, USC was good while Oregon was making its run, but Oregon was better and Oregon was the the shining star of the Pac-12. So it can be done without USC. Uh, Washington's not as flashy. I mean, let's face it, Chris Peterson, it, he's it's, not it's, flashy. It's kind of boring football. It yeah. is. They're it, good, it, but it's kind of boring. He does it right, but it 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 is boring. It is. It's in, that, and that's like, what that's it why, is. That's why, like, Washington is that team right now for the right. Pac-12, right? But it's not getting the same run as some of the other teams because – Oklahoma, Clemson are really exciting. I'm Alabama's an outlier. Alabama's also super not flashy, although two has been really flashy the last two years. But generally, they're kind of like Washington. They're kind of boring to watch, but they're just really good. Uh, they're an outlier because they're Bama, and they just right. don't stop winning national championships. But you're right. Uh, Oregon or USC could be that team as well. You need a team that has some flash that could be at the top of the conference. And this kind of leads me to the to my final point on this topic, and it's it's piggybacking off something Isaac said a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about how generally college football fans don't watch anything but their own team or conference. So the idea of trying to become more nationally relevant is like running into a brick wall because those people are never going to watch anything but the SEC or the ACC, right? And that is, that is something that I agree with 100%. And you could even say it for Pac-12 fans. If you live here, and you are not a diehard college football fan, 90% of the games you're watching are Pac-12 games, right? 
The other 10% probably reserved for the game of the week. Say you get a great Big 12 game or a great ACC game or whatever, the 5 p.m. ABC kick. You're probably going to watch that because it's on. That's that time slot. Maybe you're watching something else during the day, but 90% of the games you're watching are Pac-12 games because that's what you follow the closest. That is exactly the same as every region in this country uh, that watches college football. If you live in the Midwest, 90% of the games you're watching are Big 12, Big 10. If you live in the East, it's ACC. Southeast, it's SEC, right? Um, that's it. So I think the Pac-12 needs to stop trying to get national attention and focus on making sure that the mountain and the Pacific time zones are obsessed and can't stop watching your, your games, right? That is where your focus should be. That's where all your eyeballs are. It's really, really hard battle to fight to get everyone else to watch your conference unless you have a Clemson in your conference, right? Well, and even then, it's like, I mean, it's not like I was watching Clemson every week last year, and I, I love football, but I'm not going out of my way to watch Clemson football. I'm exactly. not going out of my way to watch Alabama football. And to your point, like, we're so focused in the Pac-12 at trying to get national recognition and getting eyeballs on our sport. Guess what? If you win, they come. If if you have a good team, if you have a top, a legit top five team that's a a national title contender, eyeballs come to the to the conference, and respect comes to the conference because it wasn't long ago that this was considered one of the top two three conferences in the nation. Now all of a sudden, it's considered the worst or one of the worst top which, five. So, which is wrong too. That's the thing is if you look at the conference depth wise. I think you could put the the Pac-12 up against any conference, but maybe the SEC in terms of depth. Like if you go, obviously the top, you use the ACC as an example again, just because we've been using it. Clemson is better than Washington, right? Right. Flat out. Yes. But from team two to 12, if you compare ACC to Pac-12, the Pac-12 is way better. Right. Way better. But the perception is that the ACC is better because Clemson is at the top of the ACC. And that goes back to my statement of the football fan being ignorant, where uh, unless USC is relevant, the Pac-12 is not relevant. Well, that's a foolish concept. That's basically saying that USC is a conference within itself. If you have a team that is damn good and worthy of being in the mention of playing for a national title – like that doesn't necessarily make your conference good. It just means you have one really good team. And these these national pundits love to look at the icing on the cake. They don't like to look what's underneath. And what's underneath is nice and hearty here in the Pac-12. There's a there's a lot of good things going on in there, but you know, it's just wonder bread over in some of these other conferences, but they got something a really nice icing covering it up and making it look pretty couple of texts on this before we move on to hate it or love it at the Better You Today text line 55305. 9 a.m., hell no. The 9 a.m., 1 p.m. range is prime time for kids, sports, chores, and honey-do lists. The game at that time screws you on TV or heading to Corvallis. That's from Ian the Burbs. He's a 20-year Oregon State season ticket holder. This says, I always try to watch ranked teams to see what they look like compared to Oregon. I also think that you specifically are probably more than just a casual college football fan, right? You're a hardcore college football fan, and you want to watch the top teams to see how they compare to your team, especially if your team is at, at the moment a top team, which Oregon might be this year. Uh, we'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. Top 15 weeks. team right now. Right now, yeah. yeah. A lot of question marks, young teams Indeed. still, but 
you know, you got one last year, Justin Herbert. So, you know, you're hoping for a better year than last year. We'll, we'll talk way more about Oregon previewing their season coming up in the next couple of weeks as we get closer to the season. But uh, that's what I think the biggest problem is, is the Pac-12 is looking national where they really just need to be focusing local. Make sure that every single football fan from the Rockies West and slightly east because Colorado's slightly east of the Rockies absolutely freaking loves your product, right? Make sure they're watching every week. Make sure it's accessible, unlike the Pac-12 networks at the moment. And make sure that you're promoting it for the people who actually care about your product. Because nobody else cares about the Pac-12 like people who live in the Pac-12 region. That is where you need to be keeping your eyeballs. And you can't just look at that as, oh, we've got them. No, get more of them. Because nationally, is going to be way harder of a battle to fight than getting people who live on the West Coast to watch your your content. And 9 a.m. kicks hurts that. Yeah. Tie that all back together to how we started this hour. 9 a.m. kicks hurts the fan experience if they're happening in the West Coast. It is stupid and dumb, and you cannot hurt the fan experience more than it's been hurt already. Every way you can benefit a West Coast fan is the only way to help grow this conference, in my opinion. No, that's your that's your mow the lawn time. That's get to Home Depot time. That's the we got to knock out all these chores because we got Pac twelve coming up, right? And then you got Sunday, so it's like you got to get two days worth of yard work, housework done in like three hours to make that that happen. That's it's just not gonna work. I think this text it had a little bit of a voice to text issue, but I'm assuming he says Wazoo. Wazoo, if they're good enough, is flashy. Air Raid puts up a lot of points. Speed D is entertaining. And bottom line, Mike Leach is a national treasure. Putting up big numbers in both points and stats is sexy. The problem with Washington State is that their brand has been so bad so for so long that it's going to take a lot of years of being good to get them up to that point. And they're kind of, I mean, they've had a lot of years of being good, but they still haven't won the conference. And that's been the biggest problem. If they win the Pac-12 and they win 11 games, then all of a sudden that national notoriety comes in for wazoo and that starts to kind of save decades and decades and decades of people thinking washington state's one of the worst teams in the country it's tough when you're a team that's been down for so long that a couple of good years is great but nationally you're not going to get that same relevance as if like usc has one good year again you're like oh usc's back and you know? as much as i like mike leach i think i think he's innovative he he does kind of that similar thing of working doing more with less that chip did when he was at oregon the problem is that guy that you got to face every single year to finish your season. In your rivalry game, not to boot. Right? And Chris Peterson knows, has you figured out, like, flat out. Like, you cannot, you you haven't been able to touch the Huskies. And until you can get past the Huskies, you're still just going to be second best in that state. And that's the problem with Washington State. Coming up next, hate it or love it. First, Jesse Sports. Weekend sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Well, there's no competition today, but, uh, or is there a competition any week? (laughs) Slam. No, there is because he beats me fairly frequently, but Rashad's out. He'll be back next week. I'll be out next week. Uh, He's in Vegas right now. So let's still just do a hate it or love it just with, uh, 
interesting questions posed by the one Jesse Osmond. So what do we got today? Yeah, so I thought maybe we'll just kind of go uh, fantasy-based as we start getting okay. um, some uh, relevance. Um, uh, with We're getting the, close. Drafts are starting to get underway here in, in a week or two for most yeah, people. Yeah, really early drafts. Even when you're drafting a couple weeks before the season, it almost seems a little early, but... Um, but you're right. They're starting to come, and uh, you're starting to see the ADP, and you're starting to see the mock drafts, and you're starting to see the ideas and, you know, what's going on with certain players. And, you know, you saw Lavian Bell go from uh, Pittsburgh, where he didn't even play last year, uh, to the New York Jets, where maybe the talent's not quite as good around him, and uh, maybe he's not going to be utilized the same way. Uh, but he's still being taken typically as a top six pick in fantasy drafts. Love or hate, Lavian Bell will not live up to a first round billing as a Jet. I'm going to go ahead and say hate on that one. And the reason I say hate is because last year, everyone fell out of love with Le'Veon Bell because he just didn't play. It wasn't how he played. It wasn't his performance, it was the fact that everyone took him number one overall and then he sat the entire year out. Let's not forget that Le'Veon Bell two years ago was considered the best, if not one of the three best running backs in the NFL. He had an entire year of rest without getting hits. And he's joining a team that, although has been a little bit of a seven to nine BS for the last five or six years or so, seems ready to kind of make that next step and challenge wildcard spot this year i honestly think Le'Veon bell is going to be one of the best running backs in fantasy football again this year i know there's a risk to it because he didn't play last year but in a in a time in fantasy football where there's only so many good running backs to draft and everything else is kind of risky i think Le'Veon bell is a safe bet and if he's confidently talking about being one of the best players and he's ready sometimes all you need is that extra confidence don't forget how good Le'Veon bell is i think he's gonna be really really good this year well, you saw what a team with nothing around him and one running back could do last year when you just feed the guy and and Saquon Barkley, right? Saquon Barkley was still a top five back last year, despite the fact that there wasn't anything around him. And you're going to see Le'Veon Bell catch balls just like Barkley did. And you're going to see him make plays on the ground just like Barkley did. And so I would assume he's still going to be a first round pick. I'm not taking him with my first overall pick. No, no, me neither. Where, where are you taking him in the first draft then? In the, is six good or, or are you wanting one of those top end receivers before you go for him like well, i think i think he would probably be something like five to ten range because yeah those top receivers will start filtering in there someone in your league undoubtedly is going to be an idiot and take patrick mahomes at number six right that's going to push someone down so yeah I, I would still take him first if you're in a 12 team league somewhere from five to ten would probably be a decent range for him i would say uh, so we'll, we'll just stick with that position. And we got a guy that's almost kind of following suit with the Lavian Bell uh, contract dispute and the idea of sitting out and uh, requesting a trade and a guy in Melvin Gordon. All, almost looking exactly the same as Lavian Bell um, last year where Bell was still a top pick off the draft boards despite the fact he was a holdout everybody anticipated him playing love or hate melvin gordon will not be worth drafting in the first three rounds hate 
first three rounds, that's a hate. Melvin Gordon, I had him personally on my fantasy team last year. He single-handedly in the beginning of the year kept me in the playoff hunt when my team was hurt and struggling. I mean, he was incredible. And he had some injury issues at times last year, and, and he missed some games. But he is not a top-tier running back. There is a There are five top-tier running backs in fantasy football, in my opinion. Maybe even four. Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, and probably Alvin Kamara. Le'Veon Bell maybe can be included in that conversation as well. Like I said, I think he's going to be really good. I just don't, we're not sure yet. But be, there's a second tier, and that's where Melvin Gordon is. And that's where top three, yeah, take him. Or top three rounds, for sure still take him, 100%. The Chargers aren't going to trade him. He's going to hold out and then realize that he needs to play because he's not as good as Ezekiel Elliott. And then he'll play, and he'll be really good. I don't know if I agree with you. Really? Yeah, I definitely think he's a I, – I would put him ahead of Christian McCaffrey right now. Like oh, ahead I, of Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, one, he's he's a touchdown machine. There's there's no doubt about that. And then he finally broke that that where he was hitting that 3.9 yards per carry and broke that with over five yards of carry last year once that O-line finally started playing well. Um, he catches balls just like Christian McCaffrey does. He's just as important in the passing game, if not more, to the to the Chargers. The problem is that the Chargers are notoriously cheap, and you also are dealing with a back that has a history of being injured. He he hasn't had uh, very many seasons where he's played all 16 games. In fact, I don't. I think maybe one season he played all 16 games. He missed for I think like virtually all of his rookie season. Um, you're looking at a guy that understands the value of a second contract. Running backs don't get second contracts and his injury history. I could see him sitting out all season just like Levy Bell did last year. That'd be crazy. Yeah, it would be. But, I mean, we're starting. What well, What did we find out from a guy like LeBron James? You set down a blueprint. He did play 16 games last year. So last year was 14, his, 13, 16, 12 in his four years in the league. So, right. He has one, one, one season where he's played 16 games. Um, and only one, you're right. And the fact that what, I mean, last year, what I think is kind of vaulted him into that elite status where he finally got the five yards per carry. He was still scoring touchdowns. Um, but and his targets were up massively the last two years too. And like I said, he's just as important, if not more to that passing game as Christian McCaffrey. Just, um, he, he does so much for Philip Rivers. All right, let's move on. Uh, the Ezekiel Elliott, something, uh, we talked about him last week. I said they don't need to pay him. We, you listen to Jerry Jones this year. It kind of sounds like maybe he's starting to come around to the idea that we got all the pieces around us to make, you know, good running backs great. And sure, we got a great running back, but how are we going to keep all these pieces around us if we pay this guy? Uh, and I kind of thought of a solution for this. And so you can tell me if you love or hate this solution because it didn't take me very long. And I'm thinking I'm Jerry Jones, right? You got... You still got a young quarterback, but he now needs to get paid, right? And you can't pay your running back, your quarterback, your wide receiver, all your offensive linemen. You got Vander Esch that came in. He's going to be needing paid a couple years down the road. And you're just think, looking at this, you're like, some something's got to give, right? Well, you got another team right, right over on the East Coast playing with a quarterback on a rookie deal. Got a really talented running back, probably not considered quite as good, but if you put him behind that offensive line in Dallas, could be quite special in Chubb. If you were the Dallas Cowboys, would you trade Ezekiel Elliott 
or Chubb? Nick Chubb? Yeah. Yeah, of course I would. Of course I would. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott's an amazing running back. He's one of the best running backs in the league, but he's also a head case, and he can't stay out of trouble. And sometimes the trouble he's in is stupid and, and not that bad, like the last thing we saw from him where a security guard got pushed into him and fell over, and it became a story. And sometimes it's really bad, like when he was accused of beating his girlfriend. So there's a lot of other stuff going on with Zeke. And I agree with you when you say they need to pay Dak Prescott first and they need to pay Amari Cooper first before they pay Ezekiel Elliott. And the only reason I say that is because of the off the field stuff. Right. If he was even 50% less of a nuisance off the field, I would pay Zeke before any of those guys because he's one of the best players in the league. But with an offensive line that's as good as theirs is, and a team that seems maybe not desperate for, but ready to bring in all these big-name stars to kind of regain a little bit of popularity among the league, or he did it with Beckham and you got Baker Mayfield, then, yeah, I would I would do that trade if I were the Cowboys. 100%. Would you do it if you were Cleveland? Because this is what I was thinking about it. Because, like, Cleveland, right, you're on a rookie deal with your quarterback. Like, fresh you rookie deal. It, yeah. You can afford it. And they, they have the cap space, whereas – Dallas is opposite. Would, so then you yeah, get a running back who's still on a on a on a rookie deal. So it's like it seems to me like a, a solid swap. You, you're like, I get a really good running back who's on a rookie deal. You get a running back that needs to get paid, but you got a quarterback on a rookie deal. Like, boom. I, I like that idea. I think it's a smart idea. And I if I were the Browns, I would do it because it appears as if you're willing to take risks on personalities to create kind of a little super team, right? Right. You've already done it, so I mean, maybe adding one more crazy personality or interesting personality is too much, right? Or maybe it's just a culture that will foster into a successful, crazy, fun team to pay attention to. So, yeah, I like that move. I would do it. Yeah, no, that's, I was thinking it took me like five minutes to come up with this idea. I was like, if I was Jerry Jones trading him to a team that's got a young, talented running back that's got cap space instantly was like, oh, Cleveland, duh. Like, they've already kind of alienated that running back room bringing in Kareem Hunt. So, well... Like Nick Chubb's probably like, what? You know, and you've heard about Duke Johnson. Right. I don't know. Why not? Just bring in Zeke Elliott. You know, he's, there's nothing to hide from there. He's going to be the man. That running back core, though. Oh, so good. Well, good, but bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Terrible people, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be, oh, yeah. Yeah, it would be horrible. But if if the second half of the season, you got Hunt and Zeke in the backfield. Is that it? We're done? Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. I was I was looking away listening, and we're done. Oh, yeah. we went yeah. long. Of course we did. Indeed. All right, coming up next, we'll wrap this show up. This is Sports Sunday on 1080 The Fan. were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. So, fantasy football begins in about three or four weeks. Drafts will be happening here starting soon for some people, I imagine. I think mine's the week before Labor Day week, I believe, on that Monday. Um, I want to do a little fantasy chatter here because we were kind of talking about it a tiny bit in the last segment. And I wanted to get our first Jesse Osmond expert opinions going into the year. 
of because I'm just now kind of starting my research on on where certain players have been ranked, etc. Do you have any top tier players that you think are going to have really down years outside of maybe Melvin Gordon, who you kind of talked about, alluded to last segment based on his he might hold out? And then are there any guys that you think are going to be really big stars who no one's really talking about? Um, well, first off, uh, yeah, I, I am. Yeah, I'm a little worried about Melvin Gordon. I'm finding ways. I I got keeper um, rights to him this season. I'm trying to find a way to trade him off, maybe swap some some first round picks or something. Um, but he worries me. I'm I'm kind of staying away from Le'Veon Bell this year. I understand why you wouldn't, and I still believe he's a top tier back. Um, I just I, I don't trust Jets. Uh, uh, Jets have, have been worrisome to me. Uh, I think maybe Keenan Allen takes a step back this year. I think you're going to see a, a bigger leap from Mike Williams um, in his third year. That's when you start seeing wide receivers really start taking bigger steps. And you saw last year that he was getting a little bit more trust from Philip Rivers. Um, and he's the big play guy. And he's also kind of the tight end guy and then you're going to have hunter henry coming back this year who hunter henry's another tight end that um keep an eye on him he's he had a lot of success for a rookie tight end and um as it sounds this, like you're down on the charge this year i i think it's just it's philip rivers is going to spread the ball around it it also worries me about the same thing um about cleveland like, okay, you got Jarvis Landry, who wasn't great in Cleveland last year, even though he still caught a lot of balls. I, I think he frustrated a lot of owners. Odell Beckham Jr., um, outside the fact that every once in a while he gets a little sore hammy, um, he's got to fight with Jarvis Landry. David Njoku, Chubb's going to catch some balls. Um, you know, Duke Johnson's going to catch some balls. There's a lot of mouths to feed in Cleveland. I'm a big Njoku fan, but he's going way too high in drafts for me. I can't justify spending a pick on him uh, where he's going when you can get a guy. Like, honestly, if I'm going to go uh, Chargers, I'm probably going to go a guy like Hunter Henry. I think he's going to have more value at the tight end position. And um, I'm probably going to go with a guy like Mike Williams over Keenan Allen because of the value that you're going to get out of there. I still think uh, you're still going to have. I don't know if I'm down on on the Chargers. I'm just probably down on the big name Chargers, right? I'm, I'm not huge on Keenan Allen. I think he's going to at some days he's going to be really great. He's going to catch a lot of balls. He'll catch a couple touchdowns, but he's not a big touchdown guy. And um, and those opportunities are kind of siphoning off to other guys, right? Like before he was the guy, there wasn't a lot around him. You know, you'd have maybe Gabriel get a big catch over the top or something, but there hasn't been a lot there. So I like that. Uh, I mentioned to you off air, um, I'm hearing in Houston, they think Kiki QT can catch 115 balls out of the slot this year. Now, do I think he's going to catch 115 balls out of the slot? No, but Will Fuller, he hasn't proven to be healthy. Um, I like Fuller. I think his talent's obvious and apparent, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Kiki QT did prove last year he can catch balls out of the slot. He had 11 catch game last season. Um, I want to say that was his first game um, in the NFL. So uh, I think there's value there, especially in PPR. I don't think in standard you're going to want to really touch him, but in, in PPR, I think he's going to be pretty good. So there's, uh, yeah, a little bit of a breakdown for you. I'm just scrolling through here some of the lists that are out there, and 
looking at receiver in particular because receiver is such an interesting position where it's so deep where you can get really impactful guys deep down. I'm on page two of the ESPN list here. And a guy that I actually had last year who was incredibly disappointing, but one who could, again, be a breakout candidate that I see at number 69. Nice. Traquan Smith on the Saints. He had one, like, amazing game last year, and everyone kept talking about yeah. how he was doing great in practice, and everyone loved him, and then he would never get targets in the games. I wonder if he's a guy that you look at super late, like last round, and just throw, like, a flyer on him or draft him for a dollar in an auction league and just see, like, hey, maybe this will work out. It's a it's problem-trusting Saints receivers outside their top guy right? because they spread it around so much, but that's a guy I just saw pretty low here on the list that, that could be a decent option. Well, and you're, 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 you're looking for a guy that may have opportunity in a high-powered offense with an elite quarterback, and that that right there lends to, hey, if you're going to take that with your last pick, that's a high-value, uh, um, high-upside pick, which, you know what, it, you're taking it with your – 15th pick no big deal um you know if you want to look at a guy um that's a running back um rookie running back i think david montgomery in chicago is going to be really good because they um three cohen they like in the role that he's he is in Catching they don't passes. yeah they don't want him running between the tackles he might run it three times a game montgomery is going to be the guy and they like montgomery and they think he could be a three down back I think he can be some real good value, probably an RB2 for you, and I think he's going right there in the third, fourth round. Can Kill Harry maybe a really big blow-up uh, blow candidate this year? Like, successful candidate? Possibly. Yeah. Um, he's going to be their number one guy. <laughs> their, or their prototypical number one. Edelman will still get the most catches. Right. But. Yeah. No, I mean, well, you, you're that wide receiver group is really interesting because – you know, you're still looking to see if Demarius Thomas is going to make the team. Josh Gordon's still applying for reinstatement. And I think if Josh Gordon actually gets the reinstatement, he's he already has that connection with Tom Brady. You saw flashes last year. Um, I don't know if I want to invest too highly in Nikhil Harry um, if that's going to – if Josh Gordon gets reinstated. If not, then I, I don't know where else they're going to go outside of Edelman because – yeah, no, they don't have they don't have Gronk. All right, we got to get going here, guys. We did get a text that said, "I'd love to hear your top five receivers overall." Not not gonna have time, and I, I just saw it, so apologies. Not gonna have time to get into it on the show today, but maybe in the, the next week or two when we get in, we'll do a deep dive into fantasy before the drafts start to happen. And uh, also, we'll let you know we haven't heard yet, but we'll let you know if we are doing the Dirt and Spray Fantasy Football Draft yet again this year. And uh, if we are, we will get. You listeners out there who want to participate in the league with us and can draft live with us to do the show, uh, do the, the draft with us that day. When we find out any more information about that, we'll let you know next week. I'm out. I'm going to be up in Victoria, Canada for the week with the in-laws and uh, Rashad will be back from Vegas. So stay tuned. Nine to 11. Every single Sunday, we will be here as we get closer and closer to football. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 